Welcome to So Hot Right Now. I'm Tom Mustill. And I'm Lucy Siegel. In the global scramble to get the message out about nature and climate emergencies, we must use everything at our disposal. Celebrity is a powerful tool to bring attention to global problems, but powerful tools have to be used right. In this episode, we access all areas. We slip behind the red VIP rope and we turn the red carpet green as we unwrap celebrity climate activism with one of the UK's biggest selling music stars ever, Ellie Goulding. Whoa! (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared bin Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. There's been a lot of debate about this over the years, but the celebrity environmental activist is not a new phenomenon. Uh, If you think about Robert Redford, who set up Sundance in 1980, which is now credited as being one of the first meetings of celebrity and environmentalism. Band Aid was in 1984, leveraging global superstars to raise money and bring attention to the global hunger crisis. Now, the power and daily reach of A-listers has been cemented by the rise of social media. Polling shows that globally 72% of internet users aged 16 to 24 years use social networks to keep up with and follow celebrities. Imagine Greta Thunberg without social media. Mm. So the theory is that if you can get that A-lister to talk nature and climate, and if that comes from them and is their passion, that will be a winner. Or is it more complicated? You've been working with celebrities for a long time. I have, (laughs) yes. So initially, I'll tell you why I did that initially, and it was because... I wanted to try and get over the sort of stigma, the hair shirt preachy stigma that environmentalism had at the time. And there was undeniable appeal of the I'm just some of the celebrities around when when I first started doing this, like Leonardo DiCaprio, Natalie Portman. Can I tell you, Woody Harrelson came into our office once and he was such a hardcore environmentalist compared to everyone else. And he went to the bathroom and he came back with the soap dispenser, which he'd taken off the wall, which he objected to. He was fuming. He objected to it because it was a non-reusable plastic insert from a main brand. And he said, you guys have got to sort your shit out essentially and then when it was time for Woody to leave he was he was in a show in the West End in the theatre he was trying to get the bus because he refused to like get in a taxi because he thought it was really ungreen it is and I ended up having to drive him in a uh, electric vehicle that I had on loan no which was the only thing that he, he would go in and he was brilliant because we were quite late by that point and he was stopping traffic on the Farringdon Road like leaning out he's wearing a beanie and it was like Woody, that's Wait. everyone could see it was Woody. You were Woody Harrelson's green hype chauffeur. <laughs> I was. That is so I cool. Was. It was the greatest day of my that life. That is amazing. So that's pretty cool. But does it work? Yes, I think so. As long as they really mean it. And the thing about Woody was he really meant it. And now there mm. isn't a huge amount of evaluation, but there's so there's a study, for example, from 2017 that looks at the effectiveness of celebrity marketing and conservation. 
And that basically concludes that the famous person has to live and breathe it. So you can't just parachute in a famous face. And I think from the activist or organiser's point of view, the thing that, that a celebrity can bring is also a great team and resource and the expert in the entertainment industry. So it can be like rocket fuel, right. in my experience. So if a famous person decides to speak out about nature and climate, it can be pretty risky, right? Because in the age of cancel culture, it, you know, if you stick your head up and talk about issues you care about, maybe you're going to, you know, piss people off and provoke a backlash. You know, there's trolls. Um, sometimes you can say the wrong thing or phrase it in the wrong way. Um, and, you, and you can look like a hypocrite um, because, you know, you're flying around the world. Obviously, often you've got loads of money um, and, and, you know, doing those things in, a, in the system that we're in often means that you're contributing or look like you're contributing to the problems. Maybe that's why so many of them don't say anything at all. Yeah. It's not, it's not completely straightforward. It is not completely straightforward. And also, what is it like to raise your head above the parapet when you're in that position? Yeah, I mean, it's hard enough to get celebrity anyway. I guess if you've like worked all your life to be really, really good at a part of entertainment, you know, maybe you feel like you've done enough. Maybe you feel like you don't want to maybe like tread on a mine trying to talk about an issue that's maybe not something you deal with every day, even though you might really care about it. It must be scary. So, well, shall we find out? Yeah, let's find out. <laughs> so, to find out on So Hot Right Now, we decided to talk to one of the UK's most successful music art artists and longtime activist for the planet, Ellie Golding. Firstly, let's just quantify her reach. <laughs> I want to do that X Factor voice, but I can't. First, do it. let's quantify her reach. <laughs> Okay, well, you can do the next bit then. She, so far, she's had two number one albums, two Brit Awards, sold over 15 million albums, 132 million singles. Her fourth album, Brighter Blue, will be released on the 17th of July. Whoa, that's a lot. I remember listening to Starry Eyes when I had Starry Eyes as a youngster, uh, having a very nice time, uh, and it was pretty exciting. Paul Oakenfold remix. Uh, no, you know what? Not the Paul oh, Oakenfold. I, I interviewed Paul Oakenfold once. Um, did you? I did. For what? I was doing a mini film about uh, DJs and I filmed quite a few DJs. Um, but you know what? I think that's a story for another time. Um, I think, <laughs> sorry, I have a DJ obsession. Really? So. Carl Cox, he was <laughs> yeah. amazing. I love Carl Cox. He's, he, he's the first to use three decks. Oh, mate, Carl Cox was just... Yeah, it was at the Amsterdam dance event, which is like a giant concrete hangar. Um, oh, it, we, we need a different podcast so, for this. We can still call it so hot right now, but we'll just talk about. I was, um, I was. DJs. Yeah, it's about how sweaty you were when you interviewed a DJ. Um, <laughs> so back to Ellie on social media, she's amassed tw 20 to 22 billion streams. Oh my god, that's insane. These are real numbers. These are well, Tom. real numbers. Okay, she's surpassed 10 million subscribers on YouTube. So that's five billion views globally her social media platforms give her a combined following of over 33 million followers oh my days that okay that's pretty big i actually didn't realize it she was that big when we interviewed her i'd have been much more embarrassed and scared if i'd known that we kept a lid on yeah. it and if that wasn't enough we've got a second expert for you todd crim is a celebrity charity fixer from los angeles so he match makes a-listers with agencies and activists to get climate stories off the ground 
So this episode also includes a quick fire round with Todd when we pick his brains. And we got to speak to Ellie and Todd just before the lockdown in London, where you could meet people and talk to them face to face. Um, do you remember those days? I remember them so fondly. That was the last time yeah. that we were together. It was. You and me, Tom, and Natalie. IRL. When, when, do you think we'll see each other IRL ever again? I've just worked out what IRL means. What um, did you think it was? What was your instinct? I don't think so, Tom. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> I guess that's it. I bloody hope so. I hope so. Also, I need to give you this microphone kit Yeah, that's what, that's what I meant. That's why I'm looking forward to seeing you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll begin with Miss Ellie Golding. Here she is. So this episode of So Hot Right Now is about um, being popular, isn't yeah. it? Yes, Tom yes. you're looking at me, but I'm not an expert in being popular. No, but uh, you'd like to be, wouldn't you? I think so. I think I've given up, but we have a very popular person here. God, is that a segue? I don't know. I've not done that. <laughs> <laughs> that is a segue. Great. <laughs> Welcome, Ellie Golding, to So Hot Right Now. Thanks, guys. Um, it is such a pleasure to talk to you about this, which I often do. Let's just have a disclaimer. We've worked together on many a climate thing. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you guys are old hands at the climate stuff. Less of the old. Sorry. Really. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Tom has to walk on eggshells anywhere around me because there's so many sensitivities um, when you're working with a perimenopausal hack. Professional <laughs> badasses at this. Is that okay? Asses? Yes. Okay. We yes. can swear, can't we? Yeah, totally. Okay. I yeah, think... we encourage it, don't we? It may be. I don't know. Will that make us more popular? Not with my mum. Swearing is cool, apparently. Oh, that's mm. such a definitive statement. I think swear words are very important. That's why it adds apparently. <laughs> <laughs> does your mum not swear? No, she does, but she doesn't like gratuitous swearing or gratuitous nudity or gratuitous violence. My mum loves all of those things. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm more like your mum. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Ellie... You are not only a global superstar, which I literally have written down here. You are also a UN environment ambassador, and you're known. You've got you've got actually uh, a long history now in uh, what I would call senior climate interventions. In that you've spoken at the UN, you take on world leaders. I mean, you're pretty sort of fearless. I'm just getting started, Lucy. Um, no, I I've had to. Honestly, I'm going to be really honest. I've had to put it slightly on the back seat in the past year, as you kind of know, because I've been finishing my fourth album, which has been quite a process. Not only trying to make sure that everything, all the packaging is eco-friendly, but also just from an artistic point of view, they've had a nightmare with me figuring out what I want on the album. It's like pulling off limbs. It's like wanting one song but then not another but actually those two songs go quite well together so I've had to really it's been a struggle I've had to really put it aside to make way for finishing this album because I think the one thing I always said that I wouldn't do was was mix the two so for example writing a song about how much I care about the environment wouldn't necessarily happen but I've realized that in the language on the new album um, I've realised it's kind of in there anyway. It's just kind of become part of my songwriting. Um, because suddenly you realise, oh my God, I've got this opportunity 
for people to listen to these songs that are catchy and they'll listen to them perhaps more than once and suddenly you realize you can talk about something and people might actually listen if you if you if you use colorful enough lyrics and um you know and you and you're quite um forward and open um that's kind of how you get people's attention i've realized that's so interesting like did you consider them sort of separate worlds before i consider them like i was really quite um i was gonna say aggressive but people would always say oh are you gonna write a song about about the weather or you know and, and they do do it in that voice i mean and i did i'd go on sesame street and you went on sesame sing, street i did and i sang a song called thank you clouds about how they water the the plants and which keep... i love that song <laughs> thank you clouds i can't remember the rest oh help that you come with us um anyway but um that was probably the closest i came to doing a song about the weather uh but i think i was just conscious that i i had in my history of seeing protesters activists who were who were also artists they were given such a bad reputation immediately for being involved in any kind of activism or um it just it just didn't really have a good reputation Mm -hmm. to suddenly go out there and be um, you know, uh, getting involved in racing extinction or or um, just protesting in general was kind of not known to be. It just it it just wasn't cool. And naturally, I was really protective over my job because you know I've created my job entirely by myself. Yeah. Um, it's my livelihood. It's my everything. It's how I make money. I think people realise it's it's my career. And you employ a lot of people. I employ a lot of people, and yeah, and I, what I do affects not just me but a lot of people, my fans, and so I was really conscious to begin with, um, not to merge the two and keep my activism really separate because you thought that the activism would jeopardize your job i genuinely thought the activism would jeopardize my job and i and i believe it has actually oh tell me well i lose followers every time i post anything about climate change i lose at least a thousand followers even now yep why do you think that is because um, people are following me for a very specific reason and it's not the environment. Um, occasionally people will message me, private message me, DM me and say, um, wow, I had no idea. Thank you so much for educating us about that. Or I'll have people say, um, fuck you for posting this. We don't want to hear this. This mm-hmm. is not what we're interested in. Um, stop preaching climate change isn't real so I just I've had to be careful and it's really difficult and I think that's why there is a lack of artists uh, speaking out about it because they're just terrified for their job and I get that I understand that I think people just uh, are worried that it's going to affect their career and I think we can all be honest and say that it probably has affected some people's careers when you think of someone you don't think oh an amazing singer like if they you know it can it can overpower you know the, the the thing that got them there in the first place i don't know something like that that was the mentality behind it but do you do you feel that that i mean you start you've been involved in uh like sort of climate and environmental advocacy for quite a long time yeah and it feels like it's it's kind of a bit cooler now but yeah it's so frustrating because it was yeah. never cool yeah the two things that weren't cool when i started out that was for some reason, protesting and being an activist just weren't cool it, like 10 years ago, mm. um, not in my industry. And then the other thing was, uh, I this is another thing, but running was, uh, I, I when I first won like the Brit um, sound, you know, I won like the BBC sound poll. I won like the Brit award for, for newcomer, best new artist, whatever. And uh, my, my promo video was 
was uh, running in a park because I loved running and I loved nature. And I remember everyone, you know, music blogs, people just being like, oh my God, what a massive dork, you know, not a rock really? star. <laughs> yeah, and I remember being really offended by it and really sad about it because I I just liked running to the point where I said to, whenever we had a meet and greet, I'd be like, well, let's go on a run because it's, it's uh, we're doing something, we're achieving something, but we get to chat and it sort of stops the awkwardness of sitting in a room and signing things for like, hi, nice to meet you and just being weird. Um, but, but for years... Um, it was so unrock and roll and now everyone's bloody doing it mm. and it's just it's cool now to be you know there's so many like instagram um um influencers like fitness influencers now everyone's on it it's the same with like protesting um and you know if 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 uh if people are doing it now to be cool um then then great you know mm. it's perhaps not the right thing but i'd rather people be doing it than not i think with being cool as someone who's never been cool or- you're very cool i think you're cooler wow. than you think you are. Yes, I think that's really... And your shirt's really cool as I well. I think that's really true. Right. Okay, great. Um, you're so uncool, you're cool. Yeah. I'm I, i uh, a bit lost for words. But, uh, <laughs> that was a very backhanded compliment um, by moi. Yeah, I'll, I'll just take anything. That's brilliant. Thank <laughs> you both. Um, Tom's gone really red. Yeah. Uh, but I guess a lot of people who want to be cool might have been into though or just want don't want to be called out for being uncool but might have been into like those kinds of things it takes a trailblazer or someone to stick their head above the parapet and a bunch of people to join in like with the protests and 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 with running i think isn't like running the something one in six people in the states now run or something Mm. um in the states yeah really i think look i'll check that later but i i saw a film about it recently and it's just exploded with the number of people and the part of that is nature connection as well yeah. Um, there's people releasing books about, about yeah. I mean, there's writers, there's journalists, like people writing, mm. you know, entire blogs and store, uh, books on, on how running has literally saved their life. Mm. Liam Gallagher, he runs now. Yeah. Yeah. Lot, I heard that as well. Lots of old ravers running. I, I'm one of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good way of like squeezing the old uh, serotonin glands. Yes. We won't um, say how that was squeezed previously, yeah. but yes, it's. I have no idea what you're talking <laughs> about. Let's move on. But, um, but I think, do you think it's also about like that, that we had a kind of much. It feels like there's an openness about talking about emotions, maybe especially around mental health and it being okay to have a problem that is living in a big industrialized, aggressive, macho culture yeah. and that being around nature and running and being okay talking about that is kind of part of that, sort of the edge of what of what's called kind of softening a bit. You know, I I used to admittedly be a bit preachy about reconnecting with nature. I, I felt like it was the most important thing for people to do to understand, uh, you know, why people like me, why people like Lucy are so passionate about saving the environment, and just you know, you just have to go into it um, for an hour and 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 get off your phone and and really understand what's um, you know at stake. Um, but then I realised that people who grew up in the city don't have the same connection to nature, uh, but you know, in that that kind of inherent thing where you just you grow up. Um, having just this this um you know I, I i crave it i like crave being in the countryside i crave driving out of london and i'm um, in my eco car by the way my bmw i3 um and i i you know it's like something it's like an it's like an addiction it's like something i need um so it's really easy for me to 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 have that kind of passion inside um whereas 
I, I don't know what it's like for people who just who really grew up uh, um, in urban places. So I, I don't know. Well, I grew up in suburbia mainly, and that's a different sort of nature. So I became very obsessed with uh, garden birds, for example, which is Aww. definitely not cool. But I love garden birds. Yeah. In fact, Kaz, our mutual friend, who we now all know, Kaz, I was talking to her actually at your birthday party about birds and I've obviously gone on a bit long. And she just looked at me and she said, I'm not as into birds as you are, Lucy. <laughs> so I get that a lot. But the but the the idea for me, just going back to what Tom was saying before about needing a trailblazer, it felt to me when I first started seeing you at Climate Stuff that you were so driven because of your connection with nature that you almost couldn't help yourself like all of the all of the industries going don't talk about this don't talk about this and you were like no I need to talk about this yeah yeah so it felt like you were being propelled by something like within you yeah because I think like where you're from from rural Herefordshire is is probably the closest that we have to sort of wilderness in yeah. the UK. Yeah. Like yeah. it's a it's a more extreme version of nature than I grew up with. Yeah. For sure. And you kind of knew every hedgerow and blah 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 because you used to walk everywhere. Before you can drive in those places, you have to walk everywhere. Yeah. And you know the landscape really really well. Yeah. And I just felt like that was completely like in you. Yeah. I mean, like, I I didn't I didn't go into it. You know, when I when I first met with the UN, I didn't. You know, I didn't pretend to know things to be well researched and to understand what was going on in the world and to understand the science but I think the main thing was yeah I had that I had that passion and you know my love for the natural world was enough to to then for them to to think that I was um you know the right person to take on that role well one of the things they've said uh quite openly at the UN and other places like help us communicate because Mm. You know, actually, you were very reticent at the start because you didn't want people to think that they that you knew what you were saying, and uh, that you knew what you were talking about. But you you're very good at humanising the science. So, for example, we went to Davos to the Arctic Base Camp, Ellie and I, and uh, Dr. Gail or Professor Gail Whiteman uh, from Lancaster University heads up a whole team of scientists there, Arctic scientists basically who sleep on the side of a mountain because they can't afford the hotel rates in Davos. And they basically just collar any world leader that comes past, Mm. drag them in and basically tell them about what's happening to the climate. And so cool. Yeah. So so tell me what, tell me what that was like and how you think that we can get those messages out in a way that resonates with your fans, for example. I, I mean, I think the language is just, it is a bit scary and I think that's one of the reasons why people unfollow because they don't it's it is too scary for people to process um and uh seeing that I mean was 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 so badass and she kind of became like a a new hero um because that was literally like dragging people up and and sort of talking about data and and things like that but that's that was a way of making it interesting like reading data is boring right it is a bit boring to to like to someone who knows about uh, you know to first of all understands that it's happening that the earth is warming up but then seeing like shitloads of data is certainly not something my fans would look maybe I'm underestimating them but I know just from just from past attempts that data does not um it doesn't uh appeal to people so it's then it's then I think it's just 
getting people to um it's stories and i think that's going back to songwriting is that is that i love hearing stories myself i think we all love hearing stories it's just part of us um even gossiping it's just like gossiping's not great but we all like a little gossip right every so often i never um, gossip <laughs> i mean if you if you if you define gossip as just wanting to talk about other people it'd be pretty weird not to do yeah. it and to be interested in other humans and what they choose to do in their yeah. lives but i think with that with with davos it was a combination of being there as well because you know being there and being in it and just being around them and i was in a particularly foul mood that day for some reason i don't know why i think i had quite bad anxiety so the idea of going and being in front of a bunch of cameras i just was just foul mood you know i just really didn't want to speak to anyone and i was so uplifted by meeting all the scientists um and uh, but I think that's another issue is that people are unable to see things or be or f- be in places or f- feel things or um, even like going and seeing the um, going down to Cambridge and you know seeing the um, the sea life that you know the um, that that only survive in super super cold um, waters um, you know just picking those up and feeling them um, and kind of just being in it um, I mean that I think that's enough for anyone you know even the biggest climate denier even just to just to have that connection with nature like does something mm-hmm. and so i think it's really difficult to to preach about stuff when you know when also a majority of people can't afford to travel or or go to other countries or just just be 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 in it you know but um, then you can go to lots of things you can experience lots of things and not actually engage with it properly mm. so sorry i don't want to talk about an incident when tom wasn't there and no one else was there but back to the davos thing I remember one of the things that you did was to drag in a sort of mutual friend of ours, Lucy, who was quite heavily pregnant at yeah, the time. Yeah. And you were like, come and just hold this ice core. Oh, yeah. And you were like explaining the story of it. So that's when I that's what I mean. I heard you explain the story of the ice core and the trapped CO2 in the ice core, but in a way that didn't mention CO2. Yeah. So, that for me is what you're very, very good at. It doesn't sound like preaching. Well, I had I had a good prop because it was it was you could hear mm-hmm. you could hear the CO two fizzling out as it as it was melting. But that I think that is just that is that is absolutely fascinating. Um, and so it's more things like that, I suppose, um, because I think that we just kept getting fed pictures of disasters and you know the 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 horrible um fires in australia and then you know the amazon the polar bears and um you know the the arctic on fire and things like that and it's just the the doom and gloom thing is it just doesn't work with people's brains you don't think but when i think no i don't i'd if if i when i see that even as an activist i just think oh scroll on Mm. scroll on when i think of other uh, movements like the civil rights movement um and I, I, I think of the music as being an integral part of those those times. Yeah. And I don't think when I think about it, the, the songs that come to mind, they're not fact laden sort of information songs. They're emotional stories about people. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And and often about future worlds that the people would like to have. Yeah. Um, you know, you're so right. I, the, I learned, <laughs> I learned so much from Forrest Gump. Because it was the first time I'd heard some of those songs, and it was in the you know one of the most important times in in America, and it, and it goes through all those times. It mm. tells you know it tells you, uh, you know through through the world of Forrest Gump, but um, you know the, the the Vietnam War and um, 
you know, the, the, even even the, you know when he's going running and everyone's following him and with he, the muddy t-shirt, the muddy face, t-shirt with that smiley, smiley face, and, yeah. and then you know shit happens, yeah. he treads in dog shit. Um, I learned so much from that film. Weirdly, I didn't know anything about the Vietnam War. I didn't know anything about protests. You know, I think John Lennon's in it at, at one point. Didn't know anything about the Beatles. Weirdly, learned a lot from that film. Yeah, it's not and weird songs. though, is it? Because it's a great film and it pull, pulls all those levers. It's like, but it wouldn't be. It w- I don't know if it would be the same without the music. The music mm-hmm. was so poignant and so important in that. Yeah, I, I I was really sad when Leonard Cohen died recently, and I listened oh. to loads of his music, and I realised how much of it. You know, starting off with World War Two. I think partisan mm. songs and going through like songs about what was happening in the United States with the various movements there and then in mm. his later life like his spiritual feelings like and it's so emotional and, and now when I think of those themes I think of his songs yeah you know I'd be so I write all I write things down all the time and I especially when I'm drunk and especially um if I'm um traveling there's something about being on a train or just being any in any kind of motion um, that makes you think more. Um, like I posted a picture the other day that where I said, I'm pretending to be in a music video and you're looking out the window in the rain and you're just, you know, pretending that someone's filming you. Um, I think it's like a, like a, I don't know, viral thing. I, so I write things down all the time. And then, but today in kind of today's music world, everything is about how many streams you can get of a song, which means that over the past few years, there's this kind of, fight to get the most catchy viral um the the charts have changed massively so um you're not hearing like the whimsical guitar-y um uh you know lyrical um stories anymore necessarily Mm. you're hearing stuff that's a lot more nursery rhymey um it's a lot more um designed for things like viral videos like tiktok right oh right so a snippet can just be nicked and used as a backing for something yeah, else people's people have made a bit small piece of music 10 second piece of music put it on tiktok done a dance routine mm. and then the song goes so the video goes so viral like millions and millions of views that then they make a song out of that snippet oh, which right. then becomes a hit and that's kind of the new world of like popular music mm. um like for example like k-pop has become has become really big recently um the bands are just huge if i mention bts and anything it, it will instantly get like a hundred thousand likes on twitter songwriting um is still it's still there and people are still writing those beautiful songs about their experiences and and how they feel about the world and you know bjork uh, singing about like some kind of utopia or some kind of futuristic thing um but Will those songs be heard as much? Uh, not necessarily by young people. There might there might be still like solid fan bases there, but it's just a shame that those songs perhaps won't get. Um, but as you much. got you got the last number one of the decade with a Joni Mitchell that cover, was a which bit was of an anomaly. I folk, think which was a folk song, which is a bit of an anomaly. But when I get given the task of singing, for example, ten years ago I sang a John Lewis song. I did cover of Elton John. I don't know what it is about me doing covers, but people bloody love them. And I don't know whether it's because when I sing covers, I can really easy, easily somehow through my voice, like emulate or recreate whatever world they were in when they wrote it. Mm, it's and an I, atmosphere. It's like acting. It's like um, when I sing my own songs, I'm so self-conscious of like what I'm singing about that perhaps it doesn't come across 
in the right way or maybe I'm not performing it well enough. I don't know. I, I don't know. Some of them have done quite well. So. Some of them have done all right. <laughs> I mean, but, well, Delirium wasn't, I don't know how many. But you know, singing, singing a song about, I mean, it's, it, look, Joni makes it easy because these the, the, there is not one thing in that song that, I, you know, that I would not have wanted to sing and try and feel about her skating away on a river. It's just such beautiful imagery. Um, so... Yeah, that that seemed to resonate with people. And then the your when I sang your song, I sang a completely different version. Like it was did not was not anything like the original, um, and it just kind of worked. And I, I, in fact, you know how long will I love you? Um, I did for a film a few years back. That was a cover. Um, damn, who did the original? Um, I'm gonna get absolutely slaughtered for this. I'll look it up because I can't it's, remember. It's um, it's the um. How long will I love you? Damn it, who was the original? I'm so sorry, I'm just having a brain fart I can't right remember now. anything at the moment, so... Yeah. I like go, the Water I, Boys. I go to scroll... The Water Boys, was yeah. Was it really? I thought it was much earlier than The Water Boys. No, it was... Oh, okay. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. So with, with your music now, I mean, I mean, I guess we all just want the climate problems to go away so we don't have to sing about it and it doesn't have to be part of our lives. But do you feel that because it, it's not like something people haven't heard of anymore that's on the periphery, that it makes more sense to to be part of your music. Yeah. Or- I mean, yeah, it does, but I I just I fear I I really fear for young people because I you know, not only are they completely overwhelmed with information about climate change and what's going on on the planet and not just climate change at the moment, but other mad shit as well. Pandemic and and you know I think American politics keeps creeping in and, you know, the sort of Brexit aftermath. Um, and young kids, like, uh, they're, they're absorbing information the most, you know, they're, their brains are just taking in all this stuff. Um, so then, and then they switch on the radio and it's like, I'm then, oh, there's bloody singing about it. So it's, I'm like, oh, do I just keep making songs for people to enjoy the way that songs have kind of always been? And I think the key is maybe... You can still write those lyrics and still... Christine the Queens does it really well. She she writes, like, great electro-pop songs, but the lyrics are really... You know, she's super smart, mm. um, and she writes these you know, really um, beautiful lyrics about um, all kinds of things. You have to, If you haven't heard of her, I'm sure you have, but she's this French delight called Christine the Queens, and she's an incredible dancer. Um, but, yeah, yeah so... Yeah, she she's amazing. Yeah, so, you c- so there is a way of doing it. Yeah. It, it can be quite clever. It can't be forced, right? It has to... You, you don't want to do a token song or a song that you wouldn't have otherwise wanted to make sing. It has to be... That's not inspiration. That's, yeah. that's obligation. Yeah. But do you think that there might be more inspiration about this the more it's just part of everyone's lives? Well, there's... Yeah, there's... I think there's a lot of... There's definitely a lot of music to come. I think maybe... I know a lot of people in the studio... Um, I know that um, I think the past year um, especially has probably been very inspirational. So I'm I'm curious to see what, what music will sort of look like in the next few years. I think, honestly, this past year, it's been so madly turbulent that 
you know, who knows? Maybe people are going to start. I mean, people have started already. I know the 1975 are quite, um, are quite vocal about things and other bands. About many and things. About many things, Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so... Um, I know I'm I'm curious I'm curious to see where where music keeps going it's it's like we're all kind of everyone in the music industry is kind of just waiting to see where it's going to go where when are you allowed to talk about what's on your new album in terms of you can talk quite obliquely because we'll, I'll get killed by your management if if we reveal anything but in terms of this crossover where you have felt like you maybe wanted to put in some of these themes or write about these themes have you have you done that on some songs there's definitely a sense of um the 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 world is ending but it's okay um which sounds awful <laughs> and sounds so depressing but in in a sense that um I, the, the 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 i use the sentence maybe because we're doomed we're whole um as like uh, as like the kind of sentence for the for kind of inspired most of the album um it's about um maybe there's this world where this kind of crisis this doom and gloom is making everyone in some weird way look out for themselves a bit more and love themselves a bit more and focus less on kind of superficial stuff and superficial relationships so it's it's it's, it's mostly about becoming a woman um and realizing that um you can have so much love for yourself um and you can do things by yourself and um you can have that independence because i've had a history of um you know not being feeling like i've always had to rely on somebody else for my own happiness and my own safety um so it's about breaking free from that and it's uh i always think to when i used to watch be obsessed with um the piano um about with with jane uh, is it jane campion film um where she she uh she wants to be taken down into the ocean with her um this, the album's called brightest blue but there's a very blue theme a very kind of water theme um and that that vision of her just mm. being cut cut free um it all sounds very dark but it's it's more sort of um like it, it goes back to what my old album was called which is um um delirium like a sense of uh like everything's kind of fucked but we're all we're feeling sort of whole mm. from it it's quite, yeah. it's, it's, I don't know. It's like everything's screwed, so let's just like be in this trance of 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 you know pretending everything's beautiful. I don't know. Or trying like to pretend you can control something and just beating yourself up about it. You know, it sounds really nuanced. It sounds but... like radical hope, which is you know, there's a there's a it's almost like a an instinctive thing, isn't it? Like what, however bad things get, you you're gonna instinctively have hope because other what else can we do? It is a very hopeful you know it's i even say the line like don't worry about the future you know there's a blue evolution which is like this kind of it's 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 me trying to create some other planet again and you know i've i read a few articles about my music in the past they say like it always sounds like she's trying to make uh, you know music for, from some other world um because my voice you know it, it it can sort of get to that frequency where it's just uh ethereal yeah ethereal. i always get ethereal um I I don't know, like it, it sort of maybe helps people go into this other world. Um, so I don't know. It's we'll, we'll see. I've I've no idea how people are going to react to it, but um, it's still a pop record. It's still like catchy, mm. um, but uh, it's it's interesting because there's two sides. One is um, written entirely by me, and then the other side is is big, 
Max Martin pop bangers. Um, and he's, two he's the different. Swedish guy. We should just explain who he's he is. He's sort of like pop pops um, super god, um, if if that's a thing. Um, he's just idolised by by entire music industry for just being able to create like these mathematically formulate pop songs that just can't not do well because mm. they're designed to be massive. But a lot of people used to work with him and not admit that they'd work with him. Yeah, I don't know why. Um, it, it's uh, it's. I think it's because the assumption is that if you go to them, it's because you need like a big banger. But I love. I I feel like we have some kind of affinity. Like I worked with them for years since Love Me Like You Do, and um, we just get on really well. And we're, they're all totally mental, and so am I. And it just like works really well. But it's so interesting, isn't it? Because he's. It's exactly this kind of algorithm that he's kind of created. It's exactly what we need <laughs> for climate communication. Yeah, it's we so also true. need to speak to Max Martin, don't we? It's, yeah, we need to speak to Max. Yeah, um, it's like it's yeah, it's creating something that where people can't it, that people sort of engage, engage, and and how you know and feel like there's no other option. So you're coming to people on their terms. That sounds well. very dictatorial. Dicta- no, no, it, it's the opposite for me because we you're accepting like what what people want how they think how mm. there's an evolution in the way that people listen to music and you were talking about it before with the really short phrases and what goes on tiktok and what they can disseminate because it's all about they're they're using the music to communicate aren't they within mm. their circles yeah and i think you're you're acknowledging that evolution and you're you're putting your not spin on it but you're 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 doing your thing and you're also acknowledging that that's the evolution of it yeah yeah so it's for me it's a mixture of um a mixture of a sort of pragmatic understanding of how people listen because there's no point us creating anything whether it's climate messaging or music if no one's going to fucking listen to it is there it's just navel gazing well exactly what's the point of it that that's the thing it's it's uh for example i started making classical music but I knew that because all I really listen to is classical music at the moment. Um, what are you listening to at the moment? Just, I mean, I classical, yeah. yeah. So, oh, so, um, so for example, I had um, Ola J Lo play at at my um, just do the entire music for my wedding. Um, I like, um, I, I, in fact, I'd I'd love to host a, like a classical show on new up, like up and coming um, composers and how they can really help your. It can help everything. I think listening to classical music is so it does wonders for your for your health. There's mental a com- health. there's a composer that I found the other day, a really young girl, and she, uh, well, to me, a young woman, <laughs> and she uh, does uh, compositions all around climate change. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, I have to find her name. I remember her name. Obviously, there was that really iconic viral video with an Audi playing on an, uh, a piece of ice in the yeah. Arctic elegy for the for the arctic mm. that was beautiful um but yeah um how, what was i saying oh yeah uh, uh but it's like being a pop artist which is sort of the pigeonhole that i've ended up in because i've i've released a lot of pop songs and that's my fault um now i'm in that world and i can't really go back you can't release a big banger and then start releasing indie records well, and expect people please to... don't stop releasing big bangers i love big bangers and i love big pop records <laughs> and my look my voice could i could have it could have gone anywhere i my voice could have could have been you know weaved into any kind of music but i chose pop because i love pop and i grew up listening to pop music i didn't listen grow up listening to dylan or Joni Mitchell, or the Beatles, or um, Rolling Stones. Even I discovered all of that in my teens. But uh, 
but I grew up listening to pop and rave and dance and all that stuff so that's just what I like to make and and it just so happens that it's it's like popular music that, that is heard on the radio and rave is the most uh, the highest form of music in my opinion love rave it's the deepest form of connection well, I certainly. I mean, I've definitely it. felt the most. <laughs> I mean, every like, day I, I hear songs and I, I hear new uh, producers uh, when I'm not, you know, stuck in Classic FM, um, and I send them just bits of vocal for them mm. to just use. I for, recently, Fortet just used my voice to do a track. Um, I'm not, I'm not crediting. It's not like featuring Ellie Golding, but I just uh, a lot, a lot of producers will use my voice and just sort of weave it into whatever they're doing, and yeah. So in terms of the other stuff that you do and the, you know, the the big climate speeches you've done, how do you feel about those now? About the... About talking about climate and giving speeches and being at these, like, huge high-profile events where you've got, like, ten world leaders in the front row. It's really scary. That's like, absolutely not natural. And I hate, as you know, because we worked together for a long time, I hate public speaking. Excuse You're me. good at it, though. And I... I I, I don't think I'm good at like spontaneous I, I get really um flustered when I there's something I want to say but I can't say it in the right way and that's why language is so important and having a bigger vocabulary and that's why I'm always reading fiction and, I, and I, every time I see a new word I look it up um and I literally do that every day because I'm always trying to expand um language that's so important especially when you're trying to describe your music or trying trying to describe you know uh, even climate language um and uh so when i've got something written um there's something takes over me and i and i i just do it and i and i i, I you know speak as as uh, clearly and as um passionately as as i i mean it's just kind of natural isn't it well but, like singing a cover like you kind of inhabit it when you're yeah. there but you know, I haven't done it for a while. I, I'm I'm due another one, I think, at some point. I don't know when. When because you've stuck your head above the parapet and you have been brave and used your position as a person who's in popular culture to talk about things you think are important. How do you deal with the trolls and how do you deal emotionally when people like aren't nice about it? Um, I've had I've had trolls for for as long as I can remember. Uh, people saying not very nice things about me but I genuinely it genuinely doesn't bother me um, and I don't know whether that's because I'm very comfortable in myself I, I've i watched a few videos of me singing recently I'm like oh I can, I'm singing alright these days and uh, and I'm happy in myself I feel quite happy that I'm sticking to like a good routine of eating really well I've got really into biohacking but that's a whole other podcast right. um, and uh I, you know, I'm just feeling kind of confident. And I think I, I did a panel on mental health the other day in, in the music industry and I said it was really important to acknowledge feeling good because I think there's there's definitely a sense that, oh, this this person's just admitted finally that they're a bit depressed or this person I look up to has, has taught, said that they've had anxiety for this mm. amount of time. Um, this person just come forward and, and said this. Um, should I be? Am, am, I, am I depressed? You know, and... Mm. I think it's really important now that everyone's speaking up that it's not it's you don't just have to speak up about feeling a bit shit you can also speak up and say look I'm feeling really confident I'm feeling really good right now mm. um so that's important because it just means that it's not just like okay I don't have a right to talk about how I'm feeling because I'm not depressed you know mm. so 
at the moment I see things when people say things to me on social media I find it genuinely funny I've I've seemed to have developed quite a good relationship with it um so I just I genuinely feel bad for people who who take it who really really take it on board and Mm. you know when people say people saying not very nice things um you know even some of my fans will say that we don't like the last few songs you've released and I'm like well that's (laughs) just your opinion and you know and uh and also I have this recalibration thing now where I've and I've taught myself to do it which is as soon as I go to reply to someone or say something, I like I I think about it for a second. I think, do I really need to do that? No, I absolutely don't need to do that. Or I say to people, before you say something, you know, do you is it is is your opinion that important? We all have a really important opinion. We all all our opinions are important, but are they that important? <laughs> no, they're not. You know, and I th- I feel really strongly about that. And that social media has made us think that our opinions are incredibly important, mm. and suddenly everyone can have a say about something. But um, is is giving is giving your opinion on this thing? It, like, is it is it a good point? Is it well informed? Uh, have you read lots of things to back up this thing? Um, I think don't say something and unless you think it's genuinely like a valuable thing. Hmm. Um, if you're saying something to just be mean, I've realised that those people have probably got issues and got problems. It's and... not nice to be them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I've managed to somehow find this place of compassion where I realised that every single person saying something not very nice there's no way that they're happy there's no way that they're happy in themselves should that compassion extend to climate deniers and you know people that push back you know yes definitely because look if someone is 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 a massive big fat climate change denier um you have to understand it's because they've been so they've been conditioned for whatever reason and it's a protection thing they're trying to protect themselves uh and so there's always there's always a psychology behind people denying things. What can the media do? Because our, our podcast is all about uh, trying to get the most out of not just our industry, but anyone who's telling stories and doing comms around climate needs needs to step up and do it better. What could the media do to help you get get your message out? Or what could it not do? How could it behave differently? How could it reform? To help me get the message out? Yeah. Oh. Well... Um, I mean, anytime I, if I'm if I'm wearing a bikini on a beach, that usually ends up being a you know Ellie Golding on beach in bikini, um, instead of Ellie Golding delivers speech at UN. You know that that's not interesting to people. So actually, it's not the media's fault. It's or maybe it is. It's it's whatever they've made people want to consume. Could um, you hold a sign with the bikini or? <laughs> Just write it, write it on your belly. But then look, but that's funny abs. and that's great content. That's, I mean, that I is... mean the, the belly area. Yeah, oh, that's so great. The belly area, that is so I'm, funny. Like, abdomen, abdomen. abdomen. That, that is great content, you know. But I mean, I, You said I was cool earlier. I think, <laughs> you I think know what? In, instead that. of being like, that's that's hilarious, it would be like, oh, Ellie Golding's gone mad. That would be it. It would be, oh, she's gone bonkers. Troubled, uh. troubled Ellie yeah. writes climate message. But then they'll be like, well, on you're, well, you're on a beach, you know, it'll, it'll be instant. Um, oh, you're a hypocrite. And all oh, that yeah. Stuff. I think... Um, you did it in Cornwall. I think one Enjoying thing... the climate change, Ellie, on the beach. 
that would be it. So that charge of hypocrisy, that's the killer though, isn't it? Yeah, but as I just as I wrote down, uh, and I think you know this quote as well, which is um, about you know climate hypocrisy or whatever. Okay, George Monbiot. Monbiot, yeah. Monbiot, Monbiot. Yeah. oh god. Um, so summed it up, hypocrisy is the gap between your aspirations and your actions. Greens have high aspirations, they want to live more ethically and they will always fall short. The alternative to hypocrisy isn't moral purity, because no one can manage that, but cynicism. Give me hypocrisy any day. Yes, hypocrisy is vastly underrated. I think that is, and I love that quote. And just recognising that, you know, just we're all going to fall short, if, but... We're, some people can try and some people can just say, nah, you're falling short and not do anything. Look, even Lewis Hamilton drives, you know, Formula One cars. However, he's so brilliant on social media and doesn't care um, that posting things about the environment will lose him followers. And I, I really respect him for that. Yeah. When I first met him, it was meat eating, you know, didn't know anything about it. And now he's just so passionate about it. And yeah, he probably gets the odd private jet um, because he'd probably be very bothered on... on um, on uh, domestic airlines or whatever and he's made a lot of money and he's done insanely well in his career and he's built it all by himself um, but he posts so frequently and he does a lot of work in his private life with charity work as well that look I'd rather him do that than nothing mm. I'd rather the I'd rather big celebrities and big stars say something and still be a bit of a hypocrite. I'd rather that than nothing, personally. Well, thank you, Ellie, for everything that you do and for speaking up and for raising your head above the parapet, which yeah. you really have <laughs> done. going back now. <laughs> there isn't. That's it now. Um, and thank you for being on So Hot Right Now with me and Tom. Thank you Yeah, for thank me. you very much. It's been brilliant. So we've heard from Ellie, who talks about what it's like to be the celebrity. But how do you get that celebrity? How do you twin somebody who cares about something with the opportunity to talk about it and make a difference. Well, there's actually a job for that. And we've got one of the people who does that job, Todd Krim, in the studio with us today. Welcome, Todd. You're here from California. Thank here you. Right yes, now. I am. Um, thank you very much for being here. We met, well, we met before, but we, we kind of met properly um, up a mountain in Davos. Mm -hmm. Would you like to just briefly explain what you were doing there? Uh, yeah, I was there with um, my client, uh, Gail Whiteman, Professor Gail Whiteman, a, a climate scientist uh, who founded Arctic Base Camp, which is a group of uh, climate scientists that camp out at Davos every year to bring attention to climate change. And with your support, we arranged for Ellie Goulding to visit the climate uh, scientists up there and bring awareness to the world leaders of the dire consequences of climate change. And of course, this was uh, even pre-Greta Thunberg um, phenomenon. And um, before, you know, this year, uh, well, everyone was, was talking. There. She was there, was there last year, yeah, but That's no one really knew who I she was. Her. I know, me yeah. too. But, you know, Ellie's been doing this a long time, and it was cool that Ellie lent her voice to bring awareness to climate change last year when no one was really talking about it. Of course, this year, everyone was talking about it. Todd, what do you do? <laughs> Straight to the um, point. Sure. Well, I'm basically a lawyer turned charity consultant. So a lot of people do think of me as a publicist, but I refer to myself as sort of a philanthropy consultant, um, bringing together the philanthropy and entertainment world. So I really help um, 
nonprofits and uh, intergovernmental agencies leverage the entertainment industry to bring awareness to the important issues and causes that they work on. Yeah, because like when I first met you and then I sort of looked you up online and there's just pictures of you with every celebrity, like really top, you know, Hollywood A-listers. And then I, the second time I saw you, you were in a sleeping bag at minus 18, having camped uh, mm-hmm. up a mountain in Davos with climate scientists. When I first met you, I didn't know that you would do that. Like, is, is it is it is it a shock to you to find yourself working with all these climate scientists? Um, no, not at all. I mean, I'll go anywhere to you know, make a difference. So, you know, climate change is something I'm obviously very passionate about and is something I work on, but it's not the only issue I work on. I pretty much work on all the UN sustainable development goals in one way or another and all the celebrities that care about those issues. So why does somebody like the UN need someone like you? Well, they need someone like me because unfortunately, um, a lot of policy makers and decision makers aren't very good at educating the public on what they do and why they need to care about the issues that the UN works on, sadly. You're being polite. I mean, they're terrible at it. <laughs> I am being <laughs> they're polite. They're absolutely terrible at it. So you basically come in and you are able to spot a story, essentially, that no one gave a shit about mm-hmm. and didn't really travel and didn't get much traction, and you give it traction. Can you tell us like, just some of your ingredients yeah, Lester, what's the first thing you look at when you try and get a story and try and get, help it cut through? I mean, the, my go-to is always, okay, what celebrity can we get that cares about this issue um, to talk about it? And um, in fact, even just today, um, Alfre Woodard, the um, actress, uh, posted on her Instagram and um, tweeted about uh, World NTD Day, which was actually yesterday, the first day um, first of what will be an annual day dedicated to neglected tropical diseases. I mean, that on paper would look like a really hard sell. Yeah, right. Neglected tropical diseases. Can you make that a thing? I mean, not a thing. It is a thing, but can you make that a story that's going to have traction? Yeah. Well, what um, I I can't say who, but I'm working with a major musical artist who is from a country that is disproportionately impacted by neglected tropical diseases. So we're going to bring him back to Africa to um, bring awareness to it and do like a concert. So again, it's kind of. Yes. Let's break this down because I need to uh-huh. get more. I need to get more understanding of what of, of squeeze these ingredients out. So that's one of the things that you do. You use celebrities. You're using people who are from different parts of the world. What are the other ingredients or opportunities that you would look for to apply to a story? Um, I mean, you need to make it sexy and cool and hip and popular. And you make you have to you have to kind of. I'm I'm all about kind of leveraging pop culture basically. So, I'm always thinking what's going to make, you know, a millennial interested in reading about it and it's going to be um yeah, I I think the celebrity factor is one of it, but the part of it, but then also I would say also maybe looking at it from a different angle or making it really relatable too. Anything with children, so and and visual. 
So I would want to have that celebrity photographed or do a video of the celebrity interacting with a family impacted by neglected tropical diseases, for example. So something that brings it home to people, yeah. puts a face to it, yeah. makes it relevant to them. Exactly. Okay, can you help us? We had a series of challenges lined up for you, but actually you've already come in and said you're looking at neglected tropical diseases, which is probably harder <laughs> than the, anything that's you can really see. That's really hard, yeah. But Tom is, Tom's a millennial, so let's see if you can make this I work for him. A, I don't really think I'm just, I'm on the borderline. <laughs> okay, the Congo rainforest, okay? Okay. The second biggest rainforest in the world and it is burning or it has been burning and it's released to, you know tons of metric metric tons of carbon and it has in a sense been a, a huge story like the amazon inferno was a few months ago but it hasn't been covered no one knows my mum got really upset and phoned me about the amazon rainforest burning uh, she has no idea that the congo is also and this on is fire. oh okay how do you uh, yeah, how do you make my mum care about the Congo? Todd is thinking. I can see the cogs whirring. Yes. Well, I would, again, I'm going to think about celebrities that care about the Congo. And I know that there's a few. Um, Rosario Dawson and Robin Wright. In fact, I think Robin has pajamas made by women in the Congo. Sorry, just hold on. How do you know about Robin Wright's pajamas? <laughs> because she told me. Todd, you're like the fixer. You're like, uh, what's he called in Pulp Fiction? You know, the, the Mr. Wolf. Yeah. You know, that guy who comes in and just he fixes stuff. Yeah. No, I know. She makes some, um, I think, Pour Le Fume is the name of the pajama line that's made by women in the Congo. This is incredible knowledge. Okay, right. Okay, so they've got pajamas. Does your mum like pajamas? She interested in nighttime fashion? I think, I think she's more of a uh, dressing gown and nighty kind of person. I but we can work with asked that. you what yeah. your mum wears. Sorry, I mean, <laughs> Robin, Robin's, Robin's issue is, you know, female empowerment, microfinancing for women entrepreneurs. But obviously, if the Congo's on fire, they're not able to work. Right. So you've gone straight for the gender thing, which is very, very important. There's yeah, so maybe it's a combination week. of gender and climate. Well, there's a big story out this week about how climate disasters fuel violence Oh, yes, against women. you're right. And I yeah. bet Robin would love to speak about that. Yeah, because that story also, for my money, has not had enough traction either. That's a good point. So we can kill two birds with one stone. Let's not say kill. We can nourish two birds with one stone. <laughs> two birds with one stone. Yeah, like so. Your job didn't really exist like about a decade ago, right? I mean, it the the work you just described is kind of a new thing. Why is it necessary? The work being that Todd is essentially the environment needs a publicist. And well, that's it what depends. You're doing. I mean, I mean, yes, I guess you could say in that sense. But again, I view my role. We're talking about climate, but I could do the same thing for gender-based violence for um, you, uh, HIV AIDS, for example. I took Zendaya to South Africa in 2015 with UN AIDS to um, educate the public on the HIV AIDS crisis. So climate is just one of you know many issues that are impacting the world right now. And what I do is I'm the middleman between the celebrities and the causes. So big, scary problems that we have difficulty getting our heads around. Yeah, human trafficking. I can find a celebrity or celebrities for that. But they are all they are all or often linked to climate crisis and climate disaster. And you would say that, wouldn't you, Tom? Some of these that these these big issues that we see quite siloed or we read about them in the press, they are actually. That's true. At the root, at the root is climate. Yeah, humans being forced to migrate because their crops are failing. Yeah, you know, 
uh, people, yeah, people moving, people fighting, uh, violent, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. I agree with that. All we want to do is do a better job. Essentially, this whole podcast is about us saying we want to do this, do our jobs better as reporters and storytellers. Do you have like any final thoughts about like things that we should prioritize? How can we just be better, Todd? Make it a human interest type story. I mean, obviously, the, the default can always be making a scary headline. <laughs> um, but I think, secondly, I, I think um, make it a human interest story where you're walking someone through how this is really impacting someone's day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. I really found that with the Australian bushfires. I found that no matter how many videos you watched of like thousands of acres burning, the images I remembered was the mother on the boat with the mask mm -hmm. on shel sheltering her kid. You know, yeah, so you got to kind of visually transport some the reader into the heart of the story. Visually transport the reader into the heart of the story. I love that. Oh, and what do you think of our name, So Hot Right Now? What is it? So Hot Right Now? Oh, I like it. Yes. Okay, few, That's quite few. the seal of approval I, from there was Todd. Like, there was quite a moment there as Todd sort of considered that. Um, thank you, Todd. You're welcome. His decision is final, by the way, so <laughs> don't <laughs> at us. Sweet. So we have celebrities. We've been approved by a celebrity booker. This is going pretty well. But well, what's next, next Lucy? Next episode, we're going to get to grips with language with Damien Carrington, the Guardian's environment editor, and Gillian Burke, natural history expert and Springwatch presenter. We're going to zero in on the words we use and why they matter so much. This is a really interesting episode, and I think you'll probably find it quite surprising as well. Um, also, thank you very much for your lovely feedback. Um, we got a nice message about how we're the nicest thing you can possibly go to a jog, do a jog, do a jog, have a jog, do a, done a jog, I done a jog. Anyway, go jogging. You've done a jog. I done a jog. Go, we're talking about language go next week. Jogging. You're going to have to get yourself together. There's a lovely podcast to go jogging while listening to. That's what somebody sent me My God, you made a meal out of that. I did. <laughs> um... I didn't think people would go running to our podcast. Or breastfeeding. But then, you know, we're breaking boundaries here. So, um... And I'm so impressed by people's ability to multitask. Mm -hmm. I can't even say one sentence at a time, it turns out. <laughs> it's early. It is. So, yeah, please join us next week. Uh, once again, thank you to Sony Fourth Floor and Picture Zero and our wonderful producer, uh, Natalie Jameson. Uh, Ever-patient producer, Natalie Jameson. Uh, thanks Nat thanks Nat and oh yeah thank you Lucy that was great thank you Tom Mustel thank you so much <laughs> this is very uh, polite this is so polite um, and yeah thanks for listening guys uh, you know please keep sending in your thoughts and uh, sending and subscribing and sharing the podcast yeah we'd like to get to 22 billion listeners pretty soon yeah like Ellie I think, I think baby steps baby steps mm -hmm.